Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show podcast. Love podcast and he knows there's a British and podcast and he's a gentleman! Oh my god, I can't Fucking let us step and send it to Ava Santina! <laughs> Come on, baby! I jumped in the way that only can be comparable <clears throat> to our dear colleague of ours when one of the dogs in the office licks his legs mm-hmm. and he leaps six foot in the floor. Shits himself, yeah. Yeah. Shits himself, does Sean Hickey. That's what they say about him. Yeah. himself hickey that's what the sh is for that's what they call him right yeah that's what they call him mm. yeah that's what he's known as and quite right in in uh in dublin that's why he moved to london right yeah couldn't get around without being called shits himself hickey but then he brought that habit here <sighs> it's a shame mm. it's a shame libelous morning all morning you right yeah how are you good not on holiday anymore not on holiday anymore as of two minutes ago yeah probably better that we're doing this one with water as well yeah, it was a bit spicy, wasn't it, yesterday? It was. Yeah. Good fun, though. Yeah, I liked it. Maybe we should do it with alcohol at all times. I think what we'll do is 100th episode, which actually I don't think we're far off. I think we're far off 100th episode. Mm. I think it's like three hours long and we just get battered. Yeah. Nice. Well, I've got a good pub landlord I want to do it with. <laughs> hmm? <laughs> I know. I think I know the, the pub you're talking about because it's the one you just end, endlessly talk about it at the moment. It's a great pub. Yeah, but I'm not telling you where it is. No, you're not because that you'd be you'd be you'd be uh, you'd be giving him free advertising as well, wouldn't you? If you did oh that. no, I don't mind doing that. I just don't want anyone else there. <laughs> oh, you don't want to ruin it. Yeah. Okay. It's nice. It's got a good mix in there at the moment. <laughs> uh, this is a bonus podcast in which we're going to go deep, mm-hmm. as deep as we can in half an hour, into David Cameron's background. Uh, not that people don't know about him already, but it's, I guess it's like an, a refresher, right? To a, address the question of what's David Cameron going to be like as foreign secretary? Is it appropriate that he's foreign secretary at all? Um, and sort of revisit some stuff. Because when we, when we were going through do, doing the research for this, 
There's some pretty crazy stuff out there on uh, on Davcam's foreign policy. I'm also appreciative that I wasn't there. This morning while you were doing the research. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So Sorry, I thought you meant when David Cameron was prime minister. No. So it's good. It'll be good fun to see if I am, um, if I actually look at things in my own time <laughs> and how sad that is. Yeah. How do I spend my Monday evenings? Well, we're about to find out. Yeah, we are about to find out. So first things first, I guess the thing to address is um, the fact that David Cameron is not elected. He's, mm. he's not an MP right now. And there are a lot of people asking the question, well, how on earth can this man be foreign secretary? Is it, can anyone become foreign secretary? It's just the sort of thing you can walk into. Where's the democratic oversight? So you need to be, uh, you need to sit in one of the, the two houses, right, in parliament in order to sit in cabinet. You can either be a lord or you can be in the commons. Uh, obviously, David Cameron was neither of those things. And you've kind of, um, a brief light has been shone on the absurdity of the whole situation, which is that Rishi Sunak goes to King Charles and says, I want David Cameron to be uh, foreign secretary. King Charles says, very well. David Cameron is now a life peer and we have been bestowed with Lord Cameron, Foreign Secretary. Um, so that's how it works. That's how it's come about. But what's interesting about this is that HOLAC, House of Lords Accounts Committee. Oh God, is that, is that the You right? love HOLAC. I love HOLAC. Um, so the vetting process seemed to have already begun because, I mean, so you need to be cleared by by this committee before you're allowed to accept your peerage. Um, and I mean, albeit that, you know, it's likely they fast-tracked it, it's quite extraordinary that that would have happened within a number of hours. So that would suggest that this has been going on for a little bit of time now, possibly a week. I would, yeah, I mean, people have, uh, that, that was the whole thing with Suella, right? Was that, oh, how, how on earth is she still in post? Why hasn't he sacked her yet? People being like, don't worry, you know, he's... He likes to be sure he's authoritative. He doesn't rush to quick judgment to sack people. Talking about Rishi Sunak. I think the reason he didn't rush to sack her is because he was lining up Cameron. Waiting on Holak. Yeah, possibly waiting on Holak, possibly waiting on any, all sorts of other things. Um, it's extraordinary that it wasn't leaked at all. So, so he's now That's also... That's what I was going to say. Oh, is, sorry. No, no, no. You, you can say it, but it's just the my scepticism about whether or not it's been with them for a week is if any of those fuckers kept it quiet, you know, I'd be surprised. Pretty extraordinary. Mm. Um. Because no journalists seem to know. Yeah. And I'm actually really pleased that no smarmy journalists came out and pretended they did know. Because they didn't. Um, Ferra- now, sorry? I was just going to say Ferrari um, went with it on LBC yesterday he, morning. He did know? No, he was like, I'm gonna, he did his thing on air. He was like, I'm going to text him. I've texted him. He was like, let's just say it. Let's just do it. He was like, David Cameron's going to be foreign secretary. Before it had been released. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, he's also going to be meeting with the ethics advisor from now on. So, so, so the ethics advisor is going to go through all of his um, um, arrangements that he's had while he's not been a sitting MP and say things to him like that's that's a breach of interests, that's against the ministerial code, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, obviously, that'll be a really quick and easy job because David Cameron hasn't been doing things like lobbying on behalf of Greensill while he's been um, away yeah. from the Commons. He's done. He's done a lot. He's done a lot, hasn't he, uh, in the intervening period? I think you know it would be. Um, we'd have to point out the work he's done with the Alzheimer's Society as well. He's not just been uh, lobbying on behalf of Greensill, but the Greensill thing is obviously a ginormous, ginormous, one of the greatest um, sort of lobbying scandals, but also possibly uh, financial frauds uh, still due to be still being investigated in many different countries. Um, all of the relevant parties involved deny any wrongdoing, but 
there is a huge, huge question over Greens Hill. Um, and maybe that's where maybe that's where we'll start off then mm. as one of the problematic aspects of David Cameron's um The biggest question being why are you so crap at lobbying? <laughs> you did a terrible job, David. Yeah, you've got one job here. Yeah. So I mean where do we go? Where do we start? So David Cameron as Prime Minister, he gets this chap called Lex Greensill. He gives him an office in Downing Street. They start working together. After David Cameron's time as uh, Prime Minister, he ends up being employed by Lex Greensill. Um, Panorama revealed that David Cameron made about $10 million during this time. Uh, 8.2 million pounds for those of you who aren't familiar with the, with the current exchange rate. And um, Cameron was sort of going around the world promoting this pretty controversial finance business, um, really. It's been what happened, the resulting sort of collapse of Greensill, it's been called various things. It's been called a fraud. It's been called a Ponzi scheme um, and also has something to do, a degree of relevance to the collapse of Credit Suisse. Um, among many other things. So uh, Greensill made loans of more than $10 billion using money from Credit, Credit Suisse customers, um, many of them to companies that later proved unable to repay, which meant that more than two years later, more than $2 billion is still to be recovered by administrators. So it's the losses on these loans that were a factor contributing. Oh, it's giving financial crash. <laughs> it is giving financial crash energy, isn't it? Um, so yes, yeah, so what, what's, you might be asking, okay, right, fine, well, this company sounds dodgy, but what's David Cameron got to do with all of this? And David Cameron essentially uh, used his connections to both civil servants and also serving government ministers to, well, to lobby on behalf of Greensill, right? So um, before the company collapsed in March 2021, he aggressively lobbied civil servants in 2020, uh, asking them to give Greensill permission to lend £10 billion under the COVID emergency loan schemes. Um, and that was phone calls, text messages, emails. The British Business Bank eventually approves Greensill to lend a slightly more limited amount of taxpayer money, but nonetheless approves it under the government's emergency loan scheme. Um, and then one of the ministers that he was calling, he, he was messaging Rishi Sunak. He was um, getting in touch with Nadim Zahawi, who at the time was not Chancellor of the Exchequer, but went on to become Chancellor of the Exchequer. There are also fraud investigations, I believe, in Germany and Switzerland, uh, criminal inquiries into fraud, and Lex Greensill has been named as a suspect in both of those investigations. Well, the Treasury Select Committee have simply said that it was not well advised. <laughs> so we're on it. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> we're all over this. And this man, so closely involved in all of this, is now the Foreign Secretary. Yes, but it's nice to know that he'll be, if he wasn't known for being the architect of Brexit, he, um, he, he'll be known as the... Uh... <laughs> okay, so that, move, so that moves us on then, doesn't it? If we're going to talk about Brexit. Well, I, I was going to drop my subprime loans for a subprime lobbyist and a subprime prime minister. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Did, when did you write that? When did you come up with that one? <laughs> In the middle of the night. Very good. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about 
work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Total rhubarb. It's the Politics Show podcast. Should we do foreign policy then? Please. Because that's probably the most relevant thing. I mean, obviously, the, the fairly dramatic uh, financial lobbying scandal is relevant. Mm-hmm. Super relevant uh, to whether or not someone's fit for high office. Uh, did he... He said he was too busy. David Cameron, did he testify? Did in he what? Did he appear before the Select Committee on Greens Hill? Uh, in front of the Treasury Select Committee? Yeah. I want to say he didn't, but we should check that. Yeah, we should check he that. Definitely che- he didn't appear at the Select Committee after Libya, which yeah. is I'm not sure what we're going to get onto. We're now. definitely going to talk about that. We're yeah. definitely going to talk about Will that. Will you begin? Okay. Um, so when I said to you earlier that I was doing uh, research and I was my mind was blown away, there is a video of David Cameron and, and President Sarkozy of France in Benghazi delivering a speech being like, Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Um, Gaddafi's dead, and like holding, they're like hold, they're all holding hands. With, uh, who I can only assume is probably like the stooge prime minister president they've got in there that I imagine lasted for about six months. Um, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, David, well, yeah, David Cameron was one of the main architects of NATO's eventual use of force in Libya. He described his pride uh, at the UK's role in overthrowing Gaddafi. And, um, well, let me tell you something. He won't be going back to Victory Square and delivering any speeches uh, anytime soon because Libya is basically a failed state um, at this point. I don't think you could say that our military intervention there has gone well. I don't think you could say that. Which part of the civil war would indicate otherwise? <laughs> yeah, is it is it the mass proliferation of weapons, organised crime groups, uh, militias, torture, um, rape, the fact that... Uh, Libya is basically one of the main thoroughfares through which refugees now enter Europe. Um, All right, Suana. Into, <laughs> into Italy and Malta. No, sorry, I'm not making a value judgment about this. I'm just saying that like, it does not function as a state, right? Right. Um, but David Cameron's proud, proud of his record there. Um, yes, and you're, you're right, isn't it? MPs on the Foreign Affairs Select Committee found in 2016 that the intervention carried out with, was carried out with no proper intelligence analysis drifted into an unannounced goal of regime change and shirked a moral responsibility to help reconstruct the country. He sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so he's proud of that. That's, that, that's, that's I guess, one of the standouts, uh, foreign policy achievements. What else is there? Uh, attempt, attempts to bomb Syria? F, attempt tried to bomb Syria? What attempts? We can't call that a success. No, but obviously uh, Bashar al-Assad uses chemical weapons, which... He said the well, Obama said, and therefore technically, actually, that's a good point. Let's let's address that right now. You know, Obama says use chemical weapons is a red line. We're going in if you use them. They use the chemical weapons. We don't go in, ostensibly because we lose this vote um, in the Commons that David Cameron calls. But I think we have to be honest about whether or not British foreign policy has any. It, well, is independent basically. You know, we like to tell ourselves we have this special relationship with the U.S., don't we? And I think that's basically how what we tell ourselves to it when we when we accept our orders from them to think that we have it we're in any way relevant to them or that our opinion matters. I think the only use we posed to the U.S. back in the day was that we were sort of um, 
someone on the inside of the European Union that could provide an insight and feed information back, but also, you know, influence events within the European Union. We no longer are that. So it's kind of, what is the point? What what value are we providing the, the US with? There was a question about whether we ever really were that, because I mean, geographically, being the nearest to America, it did kind of look like we were passing on some, you know, we were like the mouthpiece into Europe. Mm. But actually, I think what was going on is we were shouting in Europe and everyone was like, can you tell that English cuck to shut up? <laughs> No one was listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were still, obviously, we're in AUKUS. You know, there's the the sort of um, nuclear submarine deal that we did there and fuck the French on uh, with the Aussies that's going to be fairly relevant to China. But I, to, I think it's, um, I think to suggest that we have a special relationship with the US is pretty misguided. So It's, it's nice for them to know our names. Um, <laughs> there is an argument that Cameron's um, relationship with some of the Gulf states mm. that was controversial at the time when he was prime minister might now actually be very helpful in him moving towards a peace process mm. uh, with Israel Gaza. And there is some discussion that he might be able to put pressure onto those Gulf states uh, on, uh, who will in turn put pressure onto Hamas into releasing the hostages. And Cameron, back in 2010 in a speech, were you going to drop this one? Nope. Uh, Cameron in a speech did refer to Gaza as an open air prison mm. he did yeah he called it a prison camp didn't he um, very out of line with the uh, the current the current um, administration yes although it has to be said as well that after that I think it was Haaretz yeah Haaretz the newspaper uh, said that Cameron was quite the most pro as well British Prime Minister ever interesting point though about um, Gulf states um, because it was not one year since Jamal Khashoggi's um, jigsawed body was stuffed into a suitcase and left in the ground somewhere, that David Cameron was visiting Mohammed bin Salman with Lex Greensill. I'm not even joking. What did they have to chat about? Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> Press freedom. <laughs> mm. That's funny. <laughs> That's good. Possibly. Um, He's so also yeah, got a pretty complicated relationship with China. Uh, yes. The golden era. Yeah. We all we all know the photo, him and Xi Jinping yeah. having a pint. Sharing a cold one. Yeah. I'd fucking what Looking I would forward do. To the two of them on this podcast next what, week. What I would what I would do for a fucking pint of the cold stuff with President Xi. Fucking yeah. hell. Oh god, yeah. What would be your opening line? Um Oh, I love Adam Curtis. <laughs> what would be my opening line to President Xi? I don't know. Can I have can I can I have sort of one of your state centric unicorn? Can you basically make me like Jack Ma? Can I be that man for you? Can I be like a Western Jack Ma? Would be my question. I'll do anything. Mm. No, nothing is too low. I will do anything for money. That's what I'd say to him. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd say, how's that pint of IPA? You see, I'd probably ask him why he's drinking a Coors Light. Is that who he was drinking? No, I just imagine that's the sort of drink he'd have. What? I, what were they drinking? Madry. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I think it was an IPA. You would have loved it. Yeah, I wish I was there. Um, no, that's, this is a huge point of contention though, right? David Cameron brings the UK ever closer, heralds a golden era of relations with China, says that the UK has ambitions for uh, China to become our second largest trading partner within eight years. Well, that seems like a long fucking time ago, doesn't it? In fact, Rishi Sunak himself has described that bit of foreign policy, that politics as, quote, naive. Um, and obviously, 
large parts of the 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 West, the political grouping that we find ourselves in, view China now as probably the most the greatest threat to international security and global order. Mm. And by obviously by international security and global order, I mean U.S. hegemony, but nonetheless a threat to it um, because of the situation in Taiwan, because of um, its attempts to suppress democracy in Hong Kong, um, and specifically, I know I said. Sunak described Cameron's position as naive, but Sunak went further, quote, describing China's interference abroad as a particular threat to our open and democratic way of life. So obviously uh, a bit of a conflict there between the two of them. Bit of an issue with the Uyghurs over there. Yes, just a minor matter of a genocide happening. Yeah. Mm. Um, Not enough on that, you know. And I can't remember why, so I won't name the bank. Are we going to open that can of worms? But it is, it, it, there is, there's a link of the Uyghurs to this, to this one big, big old bank that a lot, lot of people use in this country. You're deliberately not naming it. I'm deliberately not yeah. naming it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, know, I know the one you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember the exact reason. That's why I'm not naming yeah, it. Yeah, f- fine. Yeah. But there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. They're, I mean, they're, they're caught up in all sorts. Yeah. Well, they are. We can a, say what we like as well. We're not bank. naming them. Yeah. <laughs> They, yeah. they are corrupt as fuck. Yeah, they are a bank. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, Ollie, who's actually uh, uh, working for them. I do bank with them. Do you? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, you didn't want a big old British bank? No, but I'll tell you what, I've just started, I've just opened a Starling bank account. She's great, that chief exec. Have you ever listened to her speak? She no. She might be the CEO. That had absolutely nothing to do with me choosing it, to be honest with you. Oh, really? No, I just looked up. It's funny. My um, actually, my my high street bank, uh, the unnameable high street bank. You know, they all have they have to have these surveys up on the walls, right? It's like, you know, of ten thousand customers from every bank were surveyed, and we were all ranked according to on like quality of online services, provision of cashier services, etc. And they obviously have to present this information in a branch. So in the branch I went into, my high street bank is fifteenth out of fifteen on all of the scores. Sick. <laughs> And Starling Bank is at the top of all of them, apart from cashier services, because they don't have any branches, right? It's, well, di- then, it's digital only. Yeah. So they're number two on that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so I, I, opened, I opened it up with them. I mean, it's mad, isn't it, that how anyone with just like a little bit of like app design can revolutionize how easy banking is. Yeah. Um, well, I bank with NatWest, and that's because I really respect how crap they are with GDPR. <laughs> You know, yeah. Off the back of the Farage thing, of course. Yeah. I really like the idea that there's there's um well she's not there anymore, but you know old Alison. Yeah. Obviously she was you know down at my branch. Um, <laughs> no, but Alison was just at dinner parties, giving names of customers over to journalists. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, that is <laughs> so insane. She lost her bonus, didn't she? She lost. Oh. She lost like seven million quid. Mm. I'm an idiot. Didn't get wedged out. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, what's the point? Yeah. Like what have you, you've literally, you've torched. Um, imagine the small holding I would buy with seven million pounds over Imagine. Santina. That would be enough for me to complete my ultimate dream, which is buying Peckham Town. The football, football club. club? Yeah. Is that what they need? Well, they don't even have floodlights. Yeah, they must be worth less than seven million quid. Yeah, yeah, nothing. I mean... I think, was... I, think I think their game, their most recent game got called off, didn't it? Pitch was flooded. Yeah, I mean, there will be that. The pitch is like, is um, full of mumps and lumps. And when the I... The pitch has got mumps. Yeah, awful. Um, Measles, rubella? Yeah, well, it didn't have the jab. Blame Tony Blair. Um, but when I was there once, like one of, I don't think it was Peck and Town, I think it might have been the other team they were playing. The goalkeeper just like fell to the floor. I was like, this is the sort of fitness level. Oh, what? Well, you had I a stitch? I can get on board with. 
wasn't having a heart it attack. It wasn't a heart attack. That's good. And it wasn't serious enough to warrant an ambulance, but I good. mean, he was, play was called off for quite some time. Shut the fridge. It's the Politics Show podcast. Obviously, I think the single greatest foreign policy achievement <clears throat> that David Cameron achieved before his resignation was calling the referendum that took Britain out of the EU. Yeah. You could only say that that's been a rip-roaring success. Um, therefore, he's eminently qualified to be Prime Minister. Discuss. Um, there's a line going around the commentariat, which is... Can I just ask, when you say there's a line going around the commentariat, are you guys all like in a little WhatsApp group? Should no, be like, no, here's just, our line. Just watch a lot of news, all right? It's really yeah. pathetic. Like, that's what I do. When I go home, I've got eight screens, every channel, every You're radio plugged station. into the Matrix. Yeah, and I'm like... <laughs> like Big oh, gulp in one hand. little saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was it? Oh, yeah, so there's a line going around the commentariat, which is, you know, daddy's home. Yeah, we referenced it in the last episode. And, um, you know, the centrists are back and this will bring... The, you want to say something? Hang on, let me... Mm. Uh, but anyway, I would argue that that is ridiculous because if you are a centrist and you are someone who believes in remaining in the European Union or stability or small-c conservatism, then you're going to look at him and see him as the beginning to the end or the beginning to where we are now, mm. right? You're not going to forgive him. Tell me what you wanted to say. When I imagine you saying there's a line going around the commentariat that oh. people are hearing Daddy's Home, I like to think it's David Cameron texting his former stenographers <laughs> and client journalists just being like, Daddy's Home. Yeah. And they're like, people are saying Daddy's Home. It's yeah. like, no, David Cameron is saying Daddy's Home. <laughs> um, you, and I had one little other thing I wanted to say before we wrap this up, which is exactly this. Rishi Sunak was perceived as uh, sort of like soft, cuddly, liberal Tory. Completely misplaced. He's actually a rabidly right wing, um, sort of as close to a kind of um, perhaps even, dare I say, it, libertarian conservative. He's not, but he's, he's more like, he's very socially conservative. He's very fiscally conservative. And he was mislabeled as a soft liberal Tory. Um, losing Suella and bringing in David Cameron has interesting possible electoral consequences in um, those... Tory seats where the Lib Dems are the challenger. You know, the kind of the 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 one nation soft ish side of the of the Tory party, uh bringing lovely socially liberal, fiscally conservative David Cameron back into the fold may well play be a be a a decision with some very good foresight as we come up to a general election. You've literally you've brought back a prime minister, you know, one of the party's most gifted communicators, just in time when there is going to be a major, major broadcast air war going on. Um, and you're worried about the Liberal Democrats possibly splitting or taking a lot of your seats. Yeah. Um, well, as they've been doing in by-elections, not necessarily that that translates. Um, you need to go and interview Stephen Flynn. Well, I wanted to just say a couple of things. Go ahead. I, um, I think one thing that the nation will never forgive him for is austerity. Mm. And I think a lot of the damage that was done by austerity is being felt now in the cost of living crisis. I mean, I'm not minimising it, about 120,000 excess deaths deaths happened because of austerity and that is i mean that is a that's a red flag in itself right <laughs> yeah could call it that um, yeah. no but i mean people don't forget and then the second thing is the streets will never forget the streets will never forget and now you're looking at a cost of living crisis exacerbated by threadbare public services and who took all the money from the public services it was david cameron mm. um nadine dory's had an interesting line yesterday where she said that the reason she wasn't happy about David coming back was that he was not a public servant. He was a self-servant. Twin that with a line that was delivered by John Craig yesterday. And for some reason, this didn't get as much pickup as it should have done. Apparently, when he 
Sudela's prime minister. He was going to stay on as a member of parliament and continue serving his constituency. He had dinner with the Blairs, big tone, yeah, who told him, no, don't do that. You're going to be offered a lot of speeches and you're going to be offered a lot of other jobs and you'll have to declare them if you're still a member of parliament. So sack it off now and go and make your cash. Neoliberalism. (laughs) 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 Fucking hell. (laughs) Yeah. The pipes on this one. Honestly. Nice. Love that. Um, Wrap it up. Yeah, love that. Nice. Ava Santina, an absolute pleasure. Oliver Dugmore. (laughs) Adieu. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their Golden Glow body set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow & Go facial set provides spa-level results at home. Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM.